familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Are you 40 years old or older, pregnant, and wondering whether or not you can successfully breastfeed? What questions should you ask to prepare for your breastfeeding journey? What risk factors should you be aware of? Today, we're learning how breastfeeding differs for women 40 and older. This is The Boob Group. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk. What's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva. Don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk never had to pump. Breast milk. All udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group because mothers know breast. Welcome to the Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Leilani Wild. I'm also an IBCLC and owner of Leilani's Lactation and Doula Services. If you listen to our show week after week, why not subscribe via iTunes so new episodes are automatically downloaded to your mobile device for you. You can also listen to our show on the go through our free apps in the Android, iTunes, and Windows Marketplace. Here's Sunny to tell us more about how you can get involved with our show. Okay. Hi, everybody. So we love to hear from our listeners. We want to get feedback from you guys on what you think of the episodes that we've done and how it's helped you in the past or maybe helped you accomplish some of your breastfeeding and pumping goals. We love that kind of feedback. So feel free to email us through our website and uh, we'll include some of those comments on an upcoming episode for the Boob Group. And we have a bunch of different segments you guys can submit for as well. If you go to newmommymedia.com, click on the Boob Group and click on segments, you'll see all of the different segments but I'll highlight a couple here. So um, we have one that we call our Boob Oops, where we share our funny breastfeeding and pumping stories. So you can submit for that. Uh, One called Mama Hacks, where you can tell us about your interesting hacks that you've discovered when pumping or breastfeeding for your child. And um, if you want to help out other mamas by sharing your your hacks, that's a great way to do it. And um, we'd love to hear about other breastfeeding, pumping apps that have helped you. We like to review apps and talk about them on the show. As Leilani said, the Boob Group. We have our own apps. We have a network app where you can listen to all new mommy media shows. So we're a big fan of apps. So if you want to submit for any of those, go ahead over to our website, newmommymedia.com. You can click on the contact link and send us an email. Or if you actually want to tell your story yourself, you can leave a message in our voicemail. And that number is 619-866-4775. Well, we have a lot of moms on the phone that are on our panel today, and let's introduce them each. Go ahead, Christine, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and how many babies you have. 
my name is Christine Gallo, and I'm in, from New Jersey. I have one son. He's 14. He just turned 14 months yesterday. I'm 43 years old, and he's my first child, and we're going to be trying for our second any day now. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Good job. Okay, and Patty? Hi, I'm Patty. I'm 43. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two kids, a three-year-old boy and an almost nine-month-old girl. She'll be nine months old tomorrow. Mm, wonderful. And Susanna? I am Susanna Mikowski, and I'm a physician. So I work full-time, and I have my eight-month-old tomorrow, little girl Katerina. She's actually with me here tonight. And it's my first child. Eight months. She'll be eight months old tomorrow. This is my first baby. Okay. At 36. 46. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Okay, so before we get started with today's show, we have a brand new segment that I'm real excited to tell you guys about. It's where we're going to do a breastfeeding quiz, okay? So you got to put on your thinking caps, all of our listeners. How well do you understand breastfeeding? I, I, I love this. I saw, I, I'm actually stealing this from a, a blogger online, but she says, she, she was doing a breastfeeding quiz and she said, are you newbie to the booby or are you the breast in class? And I thought that was really funny. Nice. So, <laughs> are you breast in class? Let's see if we can figure this out. Okay, so what what I'm going to do is I'm there's three questions. Two of them are true false, and then one's a multiple choice. And um, kind of answer these in your head, and we'll see how you do at the end. Okay, so question number one: If baby has vomiting or diarrhea, you should stop breastfeeding for a while. Is that true or false? Okay, number two: Bigger boobs produce more milk. True or false? And number three, on average, breastfeeding moms get, this is your multiple choice question, A, less sleep since they're the ones doing all the feedings, B, the same amount of sleep as formula feeding moms, or C, more sleep since the feedings are quicker. Okay, so real quickly, let's see how we all did on this. Okay, so back to number one. If baby has vomiting or diarrhea, you should stop breastfeeding for a while. Leilani, is that true or false? False. Why? Why is it false? Well, because when our babies are sick, we actually need to continue breastfeeding them because the antibodies have already started working as the baby has passed the saliva through the breast milk via the nipple, it starts making antibodies before you even know the baby's sick. So if you stop breastfeeding before or as soon as your baby is sick, then you're already um, actually contributing to them becoming more sick. So it actually protects them. So the longer you breastfeed, even through their illnesses, even your own illnesses will help protect that baby. Wow. And it helps with m milk supply too, if you don't want to just stop all of a sudden or whatever. Uh, that's so. right. Okay. So number two, bigger boobs produce more milk. It makes sense, right? More place to put the milk. Larger capacity. <laughs> oh, right. No, false. No, it's false. 
Right. So it has the size of your of your breast does not determine the the amount of milk. So keep on breastfeeding whether you're small or large. It doesn't matter. Just as, it's all about how much you demand or how much is demanded from your breast. That's how our supply is built. Okay. And last one. On average, breastfeeding moms get, is it A, less sleep since they're the ones doing all the feedings, B, the same amount of sleep as formula feeding moms, or C, more sleep since the feedings are quicker? I guess it depends on who you're asking. But technically, (laughs) they're supposed to get more sleep because if you are in tune with your baby, you are picking them up as soon as they're stirring, you put them to the breast, you feed them, and off to sleep, you both get to go. So. You, know, you don't have to, to get me. up and make a bottle. You don't have to wake up dad and wake him up and wake him up and wake him up yeah. to get up and do it for you. So <laughs> so actually, you do get to sleep a little bit more. All right. Well, thanks for taking our little quiz, guys. Um, for those of you who are active on our Facebook page, I'll post it there as well. And uh, you can check it out and see um, if you were breast in class. So we'll post those online. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Boob Boop, we're discussing breastfeeding for moms who are 40 or older. Our expert, Jeanette Masit Frem, is an IBCLC with a private practice in Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us, Jeanette. Thank you for having me. And welcome to the show. Jeanette, can women 40 and older have a successful breastfeeding relationship? I think so. I think it really varies woman to woman and having being an older mom does not always mean you're going to necessarily have more problems than someone who's younger. Okay. There's a lot of reasons to that, and we'll get to that as we go along. Will they struggle to have a full milk supply? Again, not necessarily. I think some women who are over 40 had pre-existing reasons why they didn't maybe get pregnant as as easily as someone younger. So if they did have fertility issues, then that can be a red flag that there may be some hormonal issues or other medical conditions that could be an indicator that there could be a low milk supply. But ultimately, we just have to wait and see and address those problems when they happen. Mm -hmm. So it's not an automatic assumption. Well, I guess some women would think that it's an automatic assumption that you have to have a baby by a certain age because you might have more difficulties either A, getting pregnant or B, producing enough milk or, you know, the quality of milk or whatever. So there's a lot of myths out there. I would agree with that. Yeah. So we want to really help these parents or new parents or parents-to-be understand that just because you are an older mom doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have problems. So the type of moms that might have some problems, what would that look like? Again, someone who has some fertility issues where they just could not get pregnant, hormonal issues. So if someone has PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome, those are sort of the two big ones. Some, A lot of women in our country have had breast reduction or breast augmentation. Sometimes that can get in the way. Other times it wouldn't. I think a lot of the myths, a lot of it is just confidence. People think, oh, I'm high risk because I'm older. And a lot of the practices in our obstetric world today make women feel like they're labeled high risk and they're going to have a lot of problems. So the increased risk of C-section in the older mom. And so if that happens or 
there's an induction that happens. Sometimes that delays milk coming in, and so then there could be some manifestations of breastfeeding problems. But again, those can happen to younger moms too. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to it, having the confidence is big. I hear some older moms who say, oh, well, I have to go right back to work and I need my independence and this is not going to work for me. And others who are like, hey, I've been working all these years. I'm confident and independent and I'm going to ask for the help when I need it and ask right away because they know what they want. So I think part of it is that experience often lends itself to them getting the help faster. And I think, too, maybe the moms that have waited till they were older, that they probably have a strong desire to be that best mom. I'm not that we don't all want to be that best mom, but they've maybe worked or waited. And so now they're like they've put all this time into their careers. Now they want to put all their time into um, breastfeeding or, you know, having that bre- the relationship with their new baby. Do you, do you believe that might be some truth behind that? Absolutely. I also see some of them have a lot more patience. Um, which is hard to say that, not that younger moms don't always have a patient, so I don't want to make it a blanket statement, but there's sort of like a way of being where they're like, you know what, I've had to work for a lot of things in my life, and we'll eventually figure this out. I'm going to work hard at it, and I'm going to get some help, and keep being persistent, and me and my baby will figure it out, and that's a nice thing to see, too. Good. So. I'm going to ask some of the panelists today, like uh, Christine, did you wonder if you could have a full milk supply? I did, yes. I did wonder. And did you start researching ahead of time or how how did you deal with that? I got into it by meeting the right people. Meeting Jeanette is really how I got introduced to even breastfeeding. I was more looking along the lines of a natural birth, a a midwife and a doula, and then the breast milk and breastfeeding kind of fell into that line of thinking. And from there, it kind of just unfolded. You know, when I got pregnant, it wasn't you know, I did want to breastfeed, but it was just going to be, you know, a little bit in the beginning, maybe three months. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, for me, that would be great and plenty. I never, never, never expected to be breastfeeding at 14 months <laughs> and then planning to do it for another year, two years or whatever after. <laughs> that, that's great. It empowers you once you realize that you can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Totally. How about you, Patty? Did you wonder if you could have a full milk supply? When I was pregnant with my first son, I actually thought I was going to have no problems whatsoever. I was like, oh, milk comes in. I'll be able to breastfeed. It'll be the easiest, most natural thing ever. And then he was actually five weeks early, had to spend two weeks in special care in the hospital. So I didn't pump like I should, and I didn't get to nurse right away. So I did have a low supply with him and had to supplement. Worked really hard with Jeanette to do the breastfeeding as long as I could. We nursed for 15 months. So when I became pregnant with my daughter, I was worried. I was like, maybe I'll have a low supply because I had one with my son. And the exact opposite happened. It was uh, my daughter was born maybe a week early or so. We nursed right away and we've been exclusively breastfeeding for almost nine months with no supplementing. So it's been a lot easier the second time around, which has been wonderful. That's great. And how about Susanna? Yes. Hi. So I think I just expected that I, I would nurse. I didn't have any other, I didn't think about any other options. And that I was pregnant at 45, planning to give birth at 46. Everything was going well with the clinic and then she ended up being breached. So I ended up having a C-section despite wanting also a natural birth. And my milk did take 
a while to come in. I was fortunate because I had a friend who and actually linked to one of the questions. She had little boobs, but a lot of milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to get some donor milk that I'd been screened from her, which really helped supplement in the beginning. And however, I have been exclusively breastfeeding now, doing some baby led weaning, but principally breastfeeding and the baby's eight months tomorrow. So it took a little while to get there, but we got there. That's great. Jeanette, what are the first steps a woman should take prenatally to help prepare herself? Well, I teach prenatal breastfeeding classes. I'm definitely a fan of getting lots of education so that, especially for partners, it's super important for them to come to class or anybody that's going to be around you when the baby's in the first couple of weeks so that you can find out what is normal that's not the myths of all the friends that have might have told you information, as well as when to call, when do you ask for help. But also, I'm a big fan of prenatal colostrum expression, and I talk a lot about that in my classes and with anybody that I meet when they're pregnant so that we can go through, like, how do you do that? What happens if you don't get anything? At least you're getting experience putting your hands on your breasts and trying to get some colostrum out. But I've seen many people now in my practice who have been able to bring colostrum with them to the hospital or at least be very confident once they get there that they know how to get some out. And that's been very, very helpful with the number of women that, for whatever reason, end up having their milk take a while to come in or a lot of interventions or the baby's away from them for some reason because of medical issues. It's it's invaluable to know how to hand express. And it's nice when you can walk in feeling confident that you know you've got colostrum in there and you can get it out. And do you recommend a certain time frame when to start that? I know that the moms need to be aware that they could actually stimulate contractions. So you want to make sure that you're doing it at a safe time. Do you recommend a specific time to start doing that? Sure. I would say like if you were told not to have intercourse because you're so sensitive and at risk for preterm labor, it's not a good idea to do um, before you hit 37 or 38 weeks. But for most people, the research that I've seen says around 34 weeks. And I always say if it causes contractions, don't do it. But um, right after a shower, doing a little squeeze here, they're getting partners involved too. Sometimes they're more comfortable squeezing breasts and exploring and <laughs> how, to, how hard to do it. It's not, not to hurt you, but just how confident they are with the kind of squeezing they can do. But definitely, it's not something you want to be getting into a preterm labor situation with. And that is true because you want to protect the baby as well. So... You will recommend if they are not having any preterm labor that they can start as early as, again, you said 34 weeks? I do, and I find not everybody gets anything. Mm-hmm. But if they get a little bit, then I usually hand out a syringe so they can try to have a goal of having a millimeter or two, a um, milliliter or two to bring with them and talk to them about how to bring it with them to the hospital if they're having a hospital birth. But honestly, I think it's just the practice of figuring out how do I do this, what's my technique. And a lot of women haven't touched their breasts, so it's a really great opportunity to do that for the first time, to say, okay, how am I going to do this? There's actually something really valuable inside these, and let's see if we can get them out. Mm -hmm. That's great. Christine, did you actually do that? Did you hand express early on? No, I didn't. No, just in the hospital. Once he was born, he got the colostrum. Okay, good. And how about you, Patty? No, before my son was born, I hadn't met Jeanette yet, so I wasn't really uh, aware of all of this great stuff that you should be doing. So um, I met Jeanette when my son was in special care, 
So I did try um, a little bit with my daughter, but I didn't really get anything, but I had some fun trying. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how about you, Susanna? Yes, I expressed a little bit, but I ended up not taking it to the hospital. There was a little bit of blood in one of the syringes, and so I didn't end up keeping that. And the other one kind of got, it looked a little gunky after a while. I kept it in the refrigerator, but it was a number of weeks old. So, and so. You may have frozen it yet. I had frozen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Jeanette, you would recommend what? If they saw blood in their colostrum collection, what would you tell them? That they could feed it to their baby. Right. And why is that? <laughs> Pretty much if it comes out of your nipple, you can feed it to your baby as a general rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, we, t- we hear about the components of breast milk and it's, you know, white blood cells mostly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, blood is just red blood cells, right? So it's still all the same in basic components. It's safe to give it to the baby. It does not harm them. It, it won't make them sick. It is so true, but I think there's this gut feeling that so many of us have just as humans that, like, that just feels so off at first. Mm-hmm. You know, especially someone who hasn't breastfed before, I can imagine that being a little bit nerve-wracking. Right. It would make most moms a little nervous about it. But that's why we're here to educate these moms is to help them understand, you know, what is considered okay, safe, or normal, right? Yeah, Susanna was going to say something too. Actually, I think it was also that, um, you know, I know despite Jeanette saying that this was like liquid gold, I kind of took it for granted and figured I'd have more. Mm. So I didn't think anything about tossing it. I was like, oh, it's still early enough on. I can get rid of this. There'll be more to come. (laughs) It was one of those, early expressions, it was just kind of a trial go, but I think there is an aspect of, I just didn't know how to handle such a small amount of colostrum to keep it, especially if it was blood-tinged. I mean, it was like a tiny little milliliter, and I'm like, do I squeeze this? And then I have only one other, I just didn't know, so I just tossed it and mm-hmm. cleaned out the syringe and mm-hmm. made another opportunity. So again, it's one of those things of knowing that the really is like liquid gold. Mm-hmm. Jeanette, how would you recommend storing the colostrum that they collect, even if it is one milliliter, and especially if they're doing this a month in advance? I try to just have an estimation. I actually, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody really write down exactly, like, whether they've tested what the limitations are. So I generally say express it, put it in the fridge for a day or two. If you want to put a little bit of extra on top of it or refrigerate them and then combine them and then freeze them after a couple of days, maybe not quite as long as you would keep breast milk in the fridge. It could be that you could keep colostrum in the fridge longer than that, but given that it could be given to a very, very small baby, I err on the side of being more cautious. But I would say, I think in Susanna's case, she's right down the street from me. So I would have loved to call to say, hey, can I have more syringes? <laughs> but not everybody has access to all of that. So I think even just a spoon, if people have a spoon, you could just squeeze a little bit on a spoon and stick that in the freezer in a Ziploc bag and collect a bunch of spoons with little droplets on them. It's wonderful because even a drop or two could be amazing for a baby who really needs a little bit of energy boost in, you know, in the first couple of days there. Right. And it all adds up. So, you mm-hmm. know, a drop or two will increase eventually with time. And especially you never know when that baby's going to come. So every little bit is liquid gold. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you're educating these moms out here. When we come back, we will discuss what risk factors to be aware of and when you should reach out for professional help. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. We're here with Jeanette, an IBCLC with a private practice in Massachusetts. Jeanette, what are the most common risk factors for the older moms? The most common risk factors. Well, there is a risk of having a in, being induced because often in the obstetric community, there's a belief and some research that shows that women who are older than 35, as well as going over 40 weeks of pregnancy, can be a risk. And so, a lot of those moms they will willingly go in for an induction. And induction itself is a risk factor for a delayed milk supply or at least milk coming in on time. So that's an issue. Then induction increases the risk of cesarean. And so C-sections can be an issue. I know Susanna, who's here with us today, she was able to do um, breastfeeding right there in the operating room and skin on skin for a really long time. And that's super helpful. And not all hospitals are inviting that activity in the operating room. I think the more we could do that. I think people who've had a hard time getting pregnant and maybe don't know why, but eventually find out that there's maybe some polycystic ovary syndrome or a thyroid problem, or even just their nutritional panel. I know some women who have gone off gluten and really worked on their nutrition and gotten in shape and been able to get pregnant when they couldn't have gotten pregnant through fertility measures. Mm -hmm. There's so many factors that go on with gut health as well. We get so used to our diet and we have pretty much the same diet. And if you're in your 40s, you've been eating the same way for the last 10 years. That could be a negative um, without having that diversity in your gut. And that can impact milk supply as well. Will it prevent them from having a full supply? It sometimes can. Mm -hmm. I don't know that anybody can predict that. I think when it comes down to it, sometimes you just got to breastfeed, do skin on skin, make sure that baby doesn't have a tongue tie. Make sure you're expressing milk all the time, doing a ton of skin on skin again, and wait and see. You know, pumping may be a part of that story, too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Christine, can you tell us if you faced any of these risk factors that uh, Jeanette mentioned? I did get induced because uh, my water broke and I did not have contractions for several hours. Um, They waited and I never had contractions, uh, so they did end up giving me, um, they did induce me. I had an extended, um, a long period of time of pushing. So then I was given Pitocin, another drug to induce contractions. And as far as my supply goes, I've always had a great supply. And now that we're doing a extended breastfeeding, the only time I notice a, a, a slight dip is if I do have my period. Other than that, my supply is great. So I've never had an issue with supply. Mm-hmm. That was about it for me as far as my age being a factor. And what about you, Patty? I did get in um, some Pitocin with my son. Um, my water broke early at 35 weeks. Um was not having any contractions. So when I went into the hospital, they did give me the Pitocin. And I did many, 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 many years ago get told that I did have PCOS. I haven't really had any issues with it in the past decade or so. So I don't know if that had any factor um, with my first or not. But my supply has been great with my second. So, you know, no issues issues with my second. And, and what about you, Susanna? So I had um, I had the C-section because my baby was breech, and I actually had a really tough time in the beginning. For the first four weeks, I finger-fed my baby and um, pumped a lot and waited and trusted that 
It would take time. Did tons of skin on skin. Gave her every opportunity to practice. She wasn't getting much luck in the beginning with milk transfer, but I figured that you know, with a lot of help from, from Jeanette and a lot of encouragement and also just allowing her to explore <laughs> and to learn. You know, one of the great examples I heard is just like uh, learning how to play an instrument or learning how to play a sport. It takes hours of practice in order to master it. And I just thought she's going to need hours as opposed to some baby to learn it right away. And same thing for my milk supply. It came along in tandem with with, again, a lot of pumping early on, as well as a lot of skin to skin. But after four weeks, she became a master. Awesome. And can do it now. Good. <laughs> Were there other anatomical reasons why your baby wasn't transferring that you're aware of? No. We had both the lactation consultant in the hospital looked, and they didn't see any overt tongue tie at the time, and the pediatrician who worked closely with Jeanette didn't see any overt tongue tie. So there wasn't anything from that standpoint, but no anatomic reasons, just I think it was hormonal and then stress-related in the beginning that mm-hmm. really held me back. You also had some craniosacral work, so it, some of it could have been just a result of the C-section mm-hmm. and the pressure that they you know, need to apply just when they're pulling a baby out, that when you had that craniosacral work, some of that may have also helped. That might have also helped, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of different components that are involved in birth process carrying the baby, then the actual process of birth and the impact that it can have on the skeletal of the baby. And, and you're right, it can affect the type of ability that they're they're able to do at the breast with their sucking skills or any impingement that might happen. Sometimes I explain to moms that if you woke up sleeping on your pillow the wrong way and you have like a kink in your neck and it's very uncomfortable to turn your head that particular way, it's going to make it really uncomfortable for doing certain things. And sometimes when babies are out of alignment due to a birth experience or just being carried, maybe they're sitting in the, the womb for a long time in a certain position, can impact breastfeeding. So cranial psychotherapy is a good way to help with babies with uh, latch or transfer problems. Another thing that happened to me was partly because of the amount of fluid that I got pumped in pre-op. There was a panic, you know, 24 hours after the birth that she had lost a lot of weight. And Jeanette had kind of made me feel chill about that because a lot of it was simply water weight, you know, fluid loss. But as a result, there was a panic in the hospital. And I remember that second day, them for 45 minutes trying to get the baby to latch and I was in tears and the baby was in tears and it was really a traumatic experience that I think also inhibited some of the subsequent attempts at latching and that bonding with us. So I ended up the following day just working on building trust and getting the baby back to trust being at the breast after that experience. So I think that knowing that the baby can lose a lot of weight in that first, first 24 hours and that's normal uh, especially after a C-section. I wish I had told these people to just leave me alone and let the baby and me figure it out a little bit then because I think that did push us back. Jeanette, can you tell us uh, a little bit about what she's saying in regards to the weight loss due to a cesarean birth? Sure. It can also happen with a long labor with IV fluids, especially with Pitocin, but definitely with IV fluids. So when someone has an IV then the fluid, the cellular fluid builds up and the breast responds by also filling up, but it, the brain thinks that there's milk in there. This is basically the way it is explained, I think, best. Where So the brain says, oh, the baby was born, but hey, there's lots of milk in those breasts, so we don't have to make milk. 
And so there's a delay in the milk coming in. But also when the, the baby also has excess. Milk. Oh, right, the baby. So after a baby's born, it's really normal, even in an unmedicated birth, for babies to be born with extra fluid on board just for survival. So it's normal that they would weigh a little bit more than they would at the 24-hour weight. So it's become a little bit more standard in a lot of countries now, based on a lot of research, to weigh a baby at hour 24 and use that as the reference weight when you're looking at weight loss over the first few days and weeks. Um, we want babies to be back up to their birth weight by two weeks, ideally. But if you're looking at a baby who was born after a long IV process through an induction or with an epidural or with a C-section, they're going to have a much more elevated weight. And so at our, you know, 40, 24 and 48, they're going to look like they lost way too much weight. Right. Versus if we just weighed them at hour 24. And Susanna was aware of that because we had talked about that prenatally. So she was able to counteract that a little bit and have a conversation at the hospital about that issue and not be so freaked out about it. Whereas so many other people don't know that. They're like, oh, no, my baby's losing weight. And they get very scared and they say, okay, I guess you have to give them formula. <laughs> and, and sometimes the baby does need to eat and that's an issue. But if it's really just that, wait a second, what was the hour 24 weight? And then what's the percentage that they lost? And if they only lost 9 or 10%, it's probably going to be okay. But let's work on getting her to have some colostrum that comes out and get on, get working on that so we can feed the baby. Right. And, and overall, it's most important to understand and recognize what proper transfer looks like. So a lot of babies will go to the breast and moms might assume that baby is breastfeeding. And sometimes even the hospital staff, maybe lactation consultant looks from a distance and goes, oh, yeah, baby's on. Everything looks fine from here. But what should a mom recognize? Because it's not about being 40 and over that you're having weight loss. It's It can happen to any age mom in results to extra fluids on board. So helping moms understand what that transfer looks like from the baby's point of view. There should be plenty of dirty diapers <laughs> and lots of urine. And if that's not happening, I would say yellow by day five. I didn't make that up, but that's a great comparison. Most people are out of the hospital by day five. And not every pediatric or family practice recognizes that poop should really be yellow and multiple times a day by day five. And so if that's not happening, that is a red flag that you need to talk to a lactation consultant. And when else should a mom reach out for help? When should she, what should she do or what should she be looking for? So many people's friends are telling them that it's normal for nipples to hurt. And everybody's reference point for what that means is different. But ultimately, I always joke. I'm guessing most people have not had someone suck on their nipples for that many hours a day ever before. So maybe there would be a little bit of like, oh, this is kind of weird. But there should be no cracking, there should be no bleeding, and there should be no dreading the next feeding. If it, if you're like so nervous your baby's going to wake up because your boobs are killing you and your nipples hurt, that means there's a problem with that latch. And it could just be a positional thing. It could be the approach the breast is taking as you're putting it into the mouth. It could be the angle. It could be the baby has a tight jaw. It could be that baby has a tongue tie or a lip tie or both. But if there's any issues with that latch and I hear some of you say, oh, but in the hospital, they told me the latch looked good. Well, someone can't tell you that from the outside. It can look great from the outside. But if your nipples hurt or if the baby's losing weight and continuing to lose weight and not gain weight, that's another red flag. The baby's not transferring enough milk. The baby's not pooping. The baby's not pooping at least once a day. There's a lot of people in our medical world that say it's normal for a breastfed baby to not poop every day. And that's just been proven to be not true. So it's really a great thing to monitor how much they're peeing, but it's more important to see how much they're pooping, okay. which is one of the main reasons, I would say. 
Thank you so much, Jeanette and Christine, Patty, and Susanna for helping us all better understand what we should consider when planning on breastfeeding as a mom who is 40 years or older. And for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of this show as Jeanette will talk about how to prepare yourself mentally and physically from being a career woman to becoming a new parent. For more information about our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at newmommymedia.com. All right. Hey, everybody. It's time for a fun segment we have on the boob group called Boob Oops. And it's where we share our funny breastfeeding stories. And I love this one. This comes from Becky. And Becky writes, the funniest breastfeeding experience I ever had was when my daughter was only three days old. And technically, it wasn't me. She was pretty much nursing constantly. This particular morning, I had to go to the bathroom before she was done. I thrust her at my husband, and I asked him to take over. So he happily laid her belly to belly on his chest while I relieved myself. Aw, such a good husband. As I was coming back into the room, Emily began rooting around on his chest. To his surprise, she very quickly found what she was looking for. I came into the room to his screaming. He was lifting her up in the air and screaming. Every lift that she took into the air, her head went down and his chest expanded simultaneously. Seems my little girl didn't care whose nipple she had in her newborn mouth. Of course, I hadn't bothered to explain to him how to unlatch a nursing baby, and I never thought he would need it. I just stood there laughing laughing until he finally pulled her hard enough to force her to let go. I told him next time it would hurt less if he broke suction with his finger first. (laughs) I love this. Becky, thanks so much for sending it in. And if you guys have a funny boob oops, please share it with us and we will share it with the audience. You can reach out to us via our website and just go to the contact link or you can tell your story yourself through our voicemail at 619-866-4775. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Newbies for Newly Postpartum Moms Through Baby's First Year, and Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Infants and Toddlers, and not to forget Twin Talks for Parents with Multiples. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. 
it's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.